Why, hello there. Before we start today's show, I must tell you a little bit about Fangoria Magazine. For decades, Fangoria has been the gold standard for genre reporting. This is scientific fact. And in recent times, they've taken it up a notch with beautifully executed collectible issues of their magazine filled with hands down the best coverage of the horror, sci-fi, and fantasy genres. We're talking interviews, behind-the-scenes coverage, super smart essays, the works. None of this writing is available online, so make sure to head over to Fangoria.com and pick yourself up a subscription to the physical magazine. And because you're a listener of this very show, you can get a whopping 25% off your annual subscription when you enter in the promo code KINGCAST at checkout. And with all of that said, on with the show. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Bad rub! Bad rub! Sir! see a dead body. Well, sometimes, that is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. I'm Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. We are here today to talk about. We're here today to talk about fucking trucks. I don't know if you all have seen trucks. I don't know if you know about trucks, but you're going to hear a lot of truck talk today. In fact, we're probably going to use the word trucks a lot on this episode. And to do that, we brought in a guest who you certainly know. You know him as uh, one of the founding members of Broken Lizard, the comedy troupe that spent a decade plus delivering endlessly quotable films like Super Troopers, Club Dread, Beer Fest, and back in 2018, the long-awaited Super Troopers sequel. These days, you can catch him writing for True TV's Tacoma FD. But today, he's here to discuss, as I just said, the killer Stephen King truck movie that isn't Maximum Overdrive. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Paul Soder. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I, I like that it, it's already you. You hate the the subject matter so much that that I can I can see how like rattled you. <laughs> I'm gonna tell. I'll tell you right up front. Like to date, the the hardest I have ever struggled to get through a, a rewatch on uh, one of these movies was Thinner, uh, which Dave mm-hmm. Schilling brought us. And I just oh, I could not deal with that movie, and uh, it took me like two or three attempts to finally finish it trucks i had tried to watch some months ago i think for one of our maximum overdrive episodes and uh, i made it all of about 20 minutes in this time i sat down and forced myself to get through it and i think this has supplanted thinner or maybe Dreamcatcher as my pick for the worst stephen king adaptation interesting mm. like to me i still and i know i'm kind of jumping ahead but Thinner to me, there's still some charm in there. Like the broken lizard guys w- are still inclined to look at each other these days and say, "Thinner" in the in the gypsy <laughs> voice. Yes. So that has that going for it. Dreamcatcher, I have zero, and I saw it in the theater, zero recollection. So that to me must mean that it has sort of zero value. That's your brain that. blocking out a traumatic experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You That's know. how we survive. Well, yeah. At least Dreamcatcher looks like a real movie. You know, the problem yes. with Dreamcatcher is that it has, it's the most wasted potential in terms of A-list cast, A-list uh, director, screenwriter, you know, cinematographer, like everything is is triple A, top of the line mm-hmm. uh, for that project. And, uh, and listen, the book's not great and the movie is obviously not great, but in terms of like 
if you can like take that entire cast and that entire creative team and have them do another Stephen King thing, you know, it would have been amazing. Yeah. 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 The, the most disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. And I also forgot, you know, in what I just said, uh, Dolan's Cadillac, which was another mm-hmm. one that was just uh, brutal to get through. This is a little bit more comparable to Dolan's Cadillac, especially as being a I product so, of yes. time. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, we'll, we'll dive into that in, in a second. You know, yeah. I think that uh, if we go down this road, we're just going to instantly <laughs> start uh, beating this pinata. So, uh, so where do you want to start, Scott? You want to start with the well, Stephen King origin story for Paul or do we want to? I do want to go to get to Paul's Stephen King origin story, but I got a couple of broken lizard questions. I want to, I want to mm. ask him first. And I also want to offer a, what do they call it? It's not a fig leaf. It's like a thing for peace. You know, um, an olive branch, an olive branch. I want to offer an olive branch to the people associated with the making of this movie. Um, please don't listen to this episode. You're not going to like anything that we have to say. It might hurt your feelings and we're not here to hurt anyone's feelings, but we didn't like the movie. So this is your fair warning to go ahead and back out now. We have a lot of other episodes you could listen to that won't be will, nearly as traumatic for you to listen to. I will counter that fair warning with a, hey, stick around because <laughs> I, as a as a people pleaser, I and I do this with, you know, as much as I, I, I can, especially with movies, especially with low budget movies, I really do my best to try to find the things that I can mm. celebrate or, or or whatever. So I'm going to say right now, I, there are things about trucks that I will say, okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. So, you know, the, at least if the producers are thinking about uh, fleeing the room right now, stick around because maybe we'll have an interesting back and forth of a, uh, of some pros and cons. <laughs> yeah. I, I will. Yeah. I will say that there are a few ideas in here that I, that I like that I, I'm very anxious to bring up. So yes. Yeah. I I'm with you. There, there's a couple of, of positives to talk about. There were moments in it that I begrudgingly, shine to but also i could not tell if they uh, that uh, uh you know that they were the result of stockholm syndrome uh, <laughs> or, or something along those lines while i was watching this movie so all right well i mean you know that's that's the fair warning but for broken lizard questions paul what was uh, among the titles i named which would be like you know super troopers club dread beer fest I guess Slam and Salmon's also in there. Super Troopers. Like in retrospect, what was the most fun set to be on? I was thinking about this because today would have been Bill Paxton's 66th mm. birthday. Oh, and that's so, true. And, and that dovetails into the question, which is, as I look at the, the various movies and, and, and the things I love about each or, or, or dislike about each, at the end of the day, when the question is, what was the best experience? None of the five of us will ever say anything other than Club Dread because, you know, the setting, we we had a resort to ourselves. I mean, all of the wrong reasons to, like, make a movie. <laughs> and it really was, like, everything about that film, and I, I shouldn't admit this, but it is kind of, it's the Broken Lizard movie that I sort of led up creatively the most, so I can say this, but it was kind of done for all the wrong reasons. I mean, when Super Troopers got sold to searchlight and was going to be distributed as we thought about next steps it was like the biggest thing was like wait so now we can make a movie where we'll we can go where we want and be what we want and and let's be dudes who work at a resort in an exotic location and you know the 
wanting to have it be an awesome Hollywood experience was absolutely, uh, I don't want to say out ahead of the creative, but it was parallel to the creative where we were like, <laughs> what can we do in case we never get to make another movie again? And the experience turned out to be that you couldn't plot out a better situation. And then having Paxton come on board and the beauty of him was that he was psyched to be Coconut Pete, which meant he was our host and he was going to make sure that we were always having a good time, that we were always partying. And, you know, as an actor, he's, he's like, you know, he can be cantankerous and he, you know, he knew exactly what he wanted and all that. But he really lived Coconut Pete for those, you know, <laughs> month and a half that we were there. So it was this, I mean, just every, every like great kind of quintessential Hollywood memory that I have is pegged to that shoot. Going into town and being in some tin shack uh, nightclub, just getting wasted and like there's a thunderstorm and I'm looking at the wirings all exposed and I'm like, oh, they were, we're all going to die tonight. This is so wild. I mean, it was so ridiculously sort of cliche Hollywood, but that was, we just wanted to have that experience once. I want to interject here. I'm glad that you're, you're putting that out here. Cause I, I love club dread. Like I think that, uh, I know it's kind of an underdog pick in terms of, uh, uh, you know, obviously super troopers kind of set the world on fire and, and all that. But I, I think that club dread is actually one of the, especially within the context of, of the broken lizard work is really, mm-hmm creatively interesting because you don't like every single one of you plays an exact 180 of the kind of character you guys yes. played in super troopers. Yeah. And like the, to the fact that Heffernan's like the romantic lead of the movie, you know, it's like you never would have, would have pegged Farva as being the romantic lead of a film. You know what I mean? That was very deliberate. And I, I think smart. I mean, I think for us too, that was that other impulse that we had once we knew that super troopers was going to get out into the world was okay. Well, let's, as as a sketch comedy group, as a group that that's that strove to be like Monty Python, let's make sure whatever we do next looks very different, feels very different. Each of us plays something very different, right. um, just so that we can kind of establish ourselves as like, no, 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 we're sketch comedy guys, and we do we should do all over the map uh, uh, um, stuff, and that each of us can be. Uh, uh, um, really different from movie to movie. And, and, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, and that's the thing I go back and I look at it and I love watching Jay. And, and part of that was, you know, again, wanting Jay to be a completely ridiculous character, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in contrast with Thorny, but also, in, you know, to see him try to direct an act made him a little scowly and super troopers made him a little stern. And we were like, okay, we're going to make it so that you are so with the stupid wig and the stupid accent that it's going to be impossible for you to like, you know, frown your way through, through this movie. I wouldn't have said it some years ago because I was hardcore super troopers for a long time. But in retrospect, I do think club dread is the best of the, the broken lizard movies. Ooh, you know, it's look at it, that. Well, look, it's it, it, like just kind of bouncing back to something you said a second ago it's more character and narrative dependent than super troopers, right? Super troopers is more gag dependent and that's what everyone loved about super troopers. Uh, club dread is actually a, a fucking movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that elevates it just a little bit above 
super troopers, even though I, I love super troopers, but um, yeah, the one I would throw on now, like if I had to pick would be club dread. Yeah. And that's, what's nice is that, I mean, I think, you know, strategically, was it that smart to do something so niche as a follow-up? Um, but over time, what's nice is that, yeah, I think anybody with with sort of genre uh, inclinations has really taken it as their like pet mm-hmm. favorite. And, you know, like I said, you and you guys know me enough now to know that I'm a genre dork. So for mm-hmm. me, then it's also going to be my favorite because... I got to do something that I've always wanted to do, which is make a horror movie. So, yeah. Why do you think it's so niche after Super Troopers? It's a horror comedy. Yeah. But at the time, I mean, this is still before. I mean, to me, like, I think Shaun of the Dead kind of showed people how that subgenre can make sense. But I think, you know, a lot, as, as the guy who, who, who did much of that writing, you know, I was making references to slasher movies that I had grown up with. Sure. And I just don't know. I, I think a lot of the kind of source inspiration may not necessarily be mainstream audience. Uh, mainstream audience just may not be familiar with some of those tropes. Mm-hmm. Well, when I think about like niche broken lizard titles, the first one that comes to mind is Slam and Salmon. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. that one worked for me because I worked in an, I worked in restaurants and bars for, you know, nearly 20 years, yeah. you know, so I know exactly what that whole thing is like, you know, obviously it's an exaggerated version of that or, or an over the top version of it, but it's essentially a service industry comedy. I, I think that's more niche than, you know, a funny slasher movie. Maybe maybe the movie was too early. Maybe it came along too early. You know, yeah, I think, you know, and I still think I think audiences are still over time understanding like tonal shifts because mm-hmm. we also didn't, you know, if you look at Club Dread, we intended it, even though it is can be very silly, it still kind of takes place on planet Earth and that it's not like a Zucker Brothers. It's not like a, a um, you know, scary movie comedy where, you know, gags. Uh, you're like, okay, we're, we're living squarely in comedy space, but as there's a horror movie going on, this wanted to be, okay, we're actually living in an honest horror movie landscape, but these characters are also ridiculous, uh, mm-hmm. um, that that's where the comedy comes from. It's hard then to nail that sweet spot. Uh, um, mm-hmm. and I think it's done, I think it's done wrong more than it's done right. Like I, I, you know, I love like student bodies that was that original slasher comedy, uh, during the big glut of slasher movies. I love mm. that. I love Shaun of the Dead. But to me, even even the, the third act of Shaun of the Dead starts to get a little wobbly because it, it gets a little sincere. And I, it's, I just think it's a tightrope act doing, doing horror comedy. And if you're not like nailing it just right, I do think your audience can get a little thrown off. Fair enough. Fair enough. And it's, it's well, funny just as, you know, I, I know we're not talking about maximum overdrive, but to me, that's the problem there that I find very frustrating is that I think Stephen King was like, I'm going to make this gonzo. I'm going to make this sort of live more in the creep show world with cartoonish sure. characters and some silly aesthetics, you know, that, that the, the green haze and, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of cartoonishness to maximum overdrive, which to me, I don't think is his strength. 
I, I mean, I know like, okay, we can agree on whether he has any sort of directing chops, but like to me, that's why I think Maximum Overdrive doesn't work is he's trying to, to, to do horror comedy and he's, that's just not, that's actually, I think, out of his skill set more than the directing I, is out of his skill set. I don't think it's quite horror comedy, but I do agree that it's like an EC comics thing. You know, yes. it, and that's something we've talked about on this show before about how this may be. And if and when we finally get King on the show, we are absolutely going to ask him about this. Like that aesthetic seems mm-hmm. to be what pleases him the most. Yeah. And yeah, um, when it comes to film, yes. like he very yes. rarely writes in that style. But when whenever he's had creative control over a project, whether it's creep show, maximum overdrive, um, even to some degree, the uh, the shining uh, miniseries. It's mm-hmm. like he leans very heavily into that aesthetic, either visually or in, you know, in the writing. So it's weird. It's really weird that like that is his default when it comes to making movies. Not always when he writes the screenplay, but usually when he's in a producerial role, yes. that's kind of where he's aiming the productions. And the reason that I think of that's so strange is that what I have always loved about reading him is I am always utterly convinced that the world is real. The people are real, that that's how people talk. That's how people act. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it so scary is that it is, you know, this horrific imagination laid down on a bedrock of what feels like absolutely like sort of truthful human reality. And that's why I'm always, and that's, you know, and we'll get more into trucks, but like the first thing that I at least had to say about it was it wants to exist in the same planet that the short story trucks does. Whereas mm-hmm. maximum overdrive isn't interested in existing on the same planet as the short story. That's a fair point. And I want to explore that more, but first let's talk about your Stephen King origin story. Yeah. Like, when did you first become aware of him and how? Yeah. Well, so when, you know, when I reached out to you, Scott, I said, can, I want to definitely talk about night shift. And that's why you know, I was excited that we could come up with, with, with trucks so when I was 13, I found, I mean, I guarantee you that I was in a bookstore and saw that paperback version of Night Shift with the bandaged hand and the eyeballs, mm-hmm. the, the artwork from Eye in the Doorway. And I guarantee you that I was fixated on, on that and, and, and grabbed it. And so as a 13-year-old, I just, my mind was blown and I not only knew that you know, I was already starting to watch horror films, so I knew that I loved genre. But just in terms of reading a genre, reading horror, I I went from from that into really wanting to write, saying, "Man, I want to be a storyteller because this storytelling is so great." So then I started then consuming every piece of Stephen King literature that I could find, and then went into Ray Bradbury, and it really it sprung me into my love of genre reading, but even really writing, like wanting to, that was that time in my life when I, I was like, yeah, I, I, this is, I think could be the thing that I want to do. And so mm-hmm. what was funny is that, you know, what I really wanted to do when we, when we landed on trucks was since my son is that age that I was, I really wanted to kind of see if, how all this played out through his eyes. Cause I had bought him last year he doesn't read a ton and it's been driving me crazy. And so what I, th- I thought the brilliant <laughs> idea that I had last year when he was 13 was I will buy him night shift. And I went out and got like an early edition 
hardcover and I and I made this huge sappy presentation to him saying <laughs> I want you to read this because this is what I read when I was your age and it not only took me to the next level in my love of reading but this is why I'm a writer this is why I'm a storyteller and of course it sat on his nightstand you know like for weeks and weeks and every time I I walked into his room to say goodnight hoping he would be reading it he was you know on his phone watching youtube videos and finally I snapped and I was like, God damn it, just read, read, read Battleground and read Trucks, okay? Like, because this is what dads do is like, we go from like tender loving and then finally it's yeah. rage. It is absolute rage. And I like, I picked up the book and I shook it at him and I said, Battleground <laughs> and Trucks, can you at least read these two stories? And. You're grounded if you don't do this. Honestly, it became punitive, which is I know the wrong, like it's the, all the wrong, all the wrong ways to get your kid motivated to do anything. So I failed. This is how you turn your kid into a Dean Koontz fan. <laughs> and so he begrudgingly read Battleground and Trucks, and and I'm sure he he hasn't read anything else. But what was nice was then. I, when I told him I was going to do the podcast with you guys, I said, okay, remember how I screamed at you and made you read trucks? <laughs> what I'm going to do now is I'm going to do a podcast where I talk about, uh, and I wanted to you know, be able to refresh Maximum Overdrive. So it's like, okay, and now you and I are going to watch this movie, Maximum Overdrive, and then we're going to watch this movie, Trucks. And I want to not only kind of process it all myself, but try to process it through your 14-year-old eyes, which made the whole thing kind of fun to have a partner, to have my, my, my son kind of ride shotgun with me through this experience. But it is funny. I do. I realize the, the first kind of fundamental thing that I realize is so different is for if you're a kid now, like if you, if you were a young boy who's grown up in the last 20 years, you've been inundated with children's programming that anthropomorphizes trucks and cars. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. He has just since since the, he was two years old, every Nickelodeon Junior show was like, "Oh, the talking garbage truck! Oh, the talking race car! Pixar's cars!" And mm-hmm. so I think I think it's why when he read Trucks that it maybe left him a little cold, and why as he's watched these movies, he's kind of everything has been a shrug to him because I just realize sentient vehicles. There's nothing inherently sinister about it, like when I was a kid, or you know, I mean, you know, in the '70s. I, I realized that, that that sort of basic conceit of like, oh my God, there's a truck and there's nobody inside driving it. That in and of itself <laughs> does, doesn't, doesn't send the chill down the spine right. of somebody now as it did right. when we were young. Uh, so that was a really kind of a fascinating, I thought, observation is kids now just, they have made, oh, the toaster is a little creature. I mean, oh, the lamp is a, a little talking creature. Like every, they've made content for every possible inert object to be a thinking, speaking character. So I just wonder if even just inherently the concept of of intelligent evil trucks even can work on a young audience now. Well, I well, tell I'm, you, I understand as a, if that's his take, I understand that take for trucks, the short story and this movie. But Maximum Overdrive is a, that's, it's kind of sleazy. It's got that easy comics feel. Yeah, yeah. Did he have anything to say about that, or was it the same reaction to all of this across the board? He he liked moments. I mean, I think he he certainly if I if I were to force him to watch one of those movies over again, he's going to yeah say Maximum Overdrive. 
because there were fun gonzo moments. He did enjoy the the bridge opening because you got people bodies flinging (laughs) through uh, windshields. Marla Maples. Kids love Marla Maples. (laughs) But it was the uh, ice cream truck going down the street with Mm. the the jingle still going and clearly nobody inside. I think was the only time that he was like, okay, yeah, this is a, this is a chilling uh, uh, Hmm. vision. But yeah, for both of them, I think, you know, he was like, no, nah, they're cool. Yeah, okay, whatever. But no, he had no tolerance for trucks when we watched it. I, I, <laughs> well, as he shouldn't. Um, but uh, I, I wonder also just going into the relatability of that. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I rode my bike everywhere. Yeah. Right. Pre-internet, if I wanted to entertain myself, I would just fucking lazily ride around my neighborhood. So I encountered people driving dangerously in my life theoretically being threatened if they, you know, if a car just jerked the wheel two feet to the right, you know, I could be wiped out. And, you know, that's just not a thing kids do much anymore. It's like, I've seen like kids in my neighborhood roll around on the sidewalks with the razor scooters, but I don't hardly ever see any kids riding around on bikes anymore. And when I I was on the set uh, for it and they like the producers were talking about having to essentially make an eighties camp for the kids to where they didn't have their phones. They were just hanging with themselves. They'd learned how to ride bikes. They'd never ridden bikes before. Uh, I think with the exception of Finn Wolfhard because of stranger things, but he learned that on stranger things. Right. You know, it's like kids just don't, aren't out there. They hadn't ridden bikes. No, they they had not. They had to learn how to ride bikes for the for the movie. I mean, it, it's, it was what in the worldwide fuck is that? Like, it's it's you know. I think. I mean, I don't know if those were if those were kids who grew up as L.A. kids. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we moved out of L.A. Mm, into yes. uh, uh, the suburbs. Were was that we did want the kids to just go exploring on bikes, and when we were in Hollywood. It's just not built for it. Uh, so I, I can see maybe if a, like a Hollywood kid uh, grew up not knowing how to ride a bike, it's still very weird. But it's funny. It, it's funny, Scott. It, it, well, Eric, when you talk about riding a bike, that was another reason why I think trucks really struck a chord with me is that I had a paper route and I would go out, you know, as before the sun comes up and riding my bike as the sun is coming up and being a kid with an overactive imagination, but also there was a hearse. I had to, I had to pass by a hearse Hmm. every morning because some dude had bought a hearse. He was a plumber and it was his like plumber shtick was hearse plumbing. So it was his, it was the, the vehicle that he took out on calls. But for me, it meant that in the wee hours, I always had to ride my bike past a hearse that I was positive was going to like open up its back doors and suck me in. So I think that that, that, that also was a reason why like, yeah, I, I grew up feeling like, Oh my God. Yeah. A car that comes to life. I can still, you know, I, 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 I that feels like a horrific thing that could happen. God, that just jog loose the wildest memory. I hadn't thought of this since Christ 25 years or more. But when I was a kid, there was a place we used to go to play um, doom online. You know, this is like the Jurassic era of the gaming worlds and and computers and all that shit. But it was a place called uh, Floppy Joe's in um, (laughs) in uh, Plano, Texas. 
And uh, it was just a place in a strip mall and they rented computer games. I think they had some video games, but then they had a room in the back that was set up. You could do like, you know, land parties basically and play Doom. And this was like revolutionary at the time. It was $5 an hour. And so me and my buddies would like get together on Saturdays and ride our bikes across town and play Doom. Well, we had figured out a way to get to this place that didn't involve on going on a major thoroughfare but did involve going through a neighborhood that was like sort of gated. There were main entrances and exits to it, but uh, this is sort of a, a nicer suburb of Dallas, right? The, neither of those entrance points or e exit points were convenient, but we discovered that if you rode through the neighborhood in a certain way and rode through a certain guy's yard Ooh. and up an alleyway, you could dip between like two things and end up right in the parking lot you needed to be. It would cut like 20 minutes out of your drive time. And also like there was the added benefit of if you drove through this guy's yard, he would consistently come out and chase you and he would be very mad. And we found this <laughs> extremely funny, <laughs> you know, where I grew up, the, the houses were different. Like you had different than they are where I live now, which is essentially the suburbs. I'm just out in the middle of nowhere, like 30 feet between every fence alleyways behind every single street we would just ride the line between the two houses to get to this back alleyway that would take to the shortcut but this guy like he seemed to do nothing other than probably because it was always on a saturday and this guy was just trying to enjoy his day off but we would come careening through his yard and he would run and chase us and eventually he brought a video camera out and was like trying to videotape us as though we had like fucking you know license plates or something that he could yeah. report to someone but he would just scream and uh that's the end of the memory i don't have anything else beyond that except to say that like riding a kid as a bike riding a bike as a kid not as a kid as a bike um was formative to my childhood experience and unfortunately that experience involved rattling the the suburbanites of of Dallas. Sure. But that made it, I'm sure, more thrilling, more exciting. Yeah, it was you fun. Know, like, it was fun, man. I and I you know, I gotta keep coming back to my son, is that I I it's it's weird as a dad to encourage like that kind of trouble, even if it's just you know, like we're just now getting back to the point where he can have sleepovers. He had a buddy from his baseball team come over last weekend, and I'm like go out and just run around the neighborhood. And like, you know, like that's, it's just not, it's just not done. And I think those are really valuable things because that's also to me where you get that imagination of like, what's behind that alley? What's behind that bush? What's that, mm -hmm. what's, what's that, that, that guy going to do? Maybe, you know, maybe next Saturday he comes out and he's got a gun and I'm like, Oh my God, what if that happened? Like that, all of that mm -hmm. stuff, you know, riding around a neighborhood is where you, I think, develop your sense of like imagination and, and adventure. Yeah. And also your like fuck you idea about authority, yeah. you know, because it's it's sort of like, look, if you're if you're encouraging your kid to like get on a bike, go around the neighborhood, see what we can get into. You are essentially encouraging trouble, you know, because <laughs> right. kids left to their own devices are not going to like go out and do arts and crafts right on your front lawn. They're going to go out there and see what they can get away with. But I do think that that's like an intrinsic part of childhood, you know, is pushing those envelopes and seeing how far you're comfortable with taking them and, and finding out who you are in that in that sense. And and also just being a dick. Little kids are dicks. 
right. you know, and, and I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. In fact, I still I think mean, it's funny. We rode through that guy's yard. Fuck that guy. <laughs> you know, those were good times. So, well, and that's, a, it's a bonding thing too. When you think about it, cause all my fondest memories of doing that, it aren't my, my lonesome bike rides to the mall, even though those were fun, uh, you know, cause that's where I just have my routine of going to like Walden books and, scanning through yes. their their dirty joke <laughs> you know books and you know finding the worst jokes and then you know paying my two dollars to go to see you know a matinee at the theater and having a mcdonald's meal and then riding home like all those were great but like the stuff i remember the most was you know just palling around with you know with a like a girl and a guy a kid other kid in my neighborhood that would we just go through our apartment like large apartment complex and we like do stupid shit like dumpster diving and like find we'd find people who threw out cereal that sold the toys inside and shit like all that stuff like <laughs> all i think about is uh, all, I, all i think about is the uh like how gross that shit is now but like as a kid i'm like cool there's treasure in here yeah, <laughs> yeah there's no treasure shit. hunting yeah i mean yeah. i know you guys talked about it with with lee Wano when you talked about stand by me that that's like the value of that of that experience that time of your life like is so the best times precious yeah, it's it's so good. So it's 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 concerning to me to hear that the kids are not out on bikes. Get out on a bike, terrorize a neighbor, commit what are technically felonies and get away with them. <laughs> you know, that is that is what the King cast is is telling the youth of. of Go today. make trouble. Not Go legally. We're trouble. not. Yeah, not legally. You no, know, we are no. incorporated now, so I shouldn't say that. But, you know. Low key. Scott Wampler's views do not represent the, the right, views right, of the right, King. Right, right. My my name is Phil <laughs> Nabil Jr. of Fangoria yeah. magazine. That, yeah. And this some is guy, what I am encouraging. Some guy who's gonna get a, a flaming bag of dog shit is is gonna now take Scott to court for inspiring the the kids to get into trouble. <laughs> the dog in, shit I, insurrection. Frankly, yeah, yeah. I've been in worse <laughs> trouble. So it's fine. <laughs> Let's get to trucks. Is, you, know, you think we've been bullshitting so much because in our heart of hearts, none of us wants to have to talk about the movie. No, I, I think this is all intrinsic to, I, I think this is all intrinsic to Stephen King. Yes. You know, sure. I, I, I think, I think that experience of being a kid reading King at that age, also riding around on bikes and just generally being a hooligan is, you know, that's, that's intrinsic to stand by me. It, you know, all those things. I, I do think it's uh, relevant to the overall experience. Whether or not it's relevant to the experience of trucks is another matter. But uh, we can talk about that now. Uh, I, I want to uh, I do want to start here by talking about the short story, mm -hmm. which uh, I did not reread before we did Maximum Overdrive, but I did before this. And I was struck by it, like how tiny of a piece of the story this is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like 10 pages long or something. You know, it comes in in media res. You know, the shit has already gone down. It's yes. the people are already at the truck stop slash diner. And then it ends. It's it's very quick. It's it's like a slice of this. I found this sort of to be like the sort of writing I might have done when I was like 15 or 16 years old. Very direct to the point. Very punchy. I, I associate this kind of writing more with Bachman than I do King, but uh, I'm I'm curious about your take on on the story, Paul. Yeah, I mean that's when I went back and reread it. That was the the first thing that I thought about too. Was we come in and the shit has hit the fan. There is no setup. There is no backstory. You realize how nice it is as we started making movies. 
what we started, we started to learn the value of grabbing somebody by the throat. And that was, you know, when, when like our job one, when we set out to do super troopers was let us make sure that people are fully invested as soon as they uh, sit down. And, you know, the movie that we had made prior puddle cruiser was this kind of, you know, lazily paced college comedy. And it had some big laughs, but it also had a really long setup. And ultimately why that movie, why we couldn't get distribution, we did test screening, stuff like that, was that people were like, eh, it just takes too long to get started. And so we were like, all right, well, in Super Troopers, that is the one thing we're going to make sure we do. And mm-hmm. that was, you know, we ended up, I think, having a fantastic, the results were great. That that that, that pullover scene with the, with the kids, right. it's such a great way that you just jump right in. You don't, you know, and we had to fight the studio but, and, 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 you know, people are like, well, we don't know yet who these people are. Is the movie about the kids, but we don't know these mm-hmm. cops or that. And we're like, exactly. It doesn't matter because it's going to be ridiculous and funny. And it doesn't matter that people aren't fully oriented yet. And in Hollywood, uh, correct, that's... Well, hold on real quick, real quick, yeah. though. Correct me if I'm wrong. I seem to remember the first time that I remember a studio or a promotional team releasing like the opening scene of a movie. The first time I remember that was Super Troopers. Like, didn't they release that like out either it was online or they did something, they aired it on TV or they did something where they aired that first, um, that, that whole first section. I don't remember that. I, I don't. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm going crazy, but I'm pretty sure I, cause that, that was in the I height of my memory of this too. My days at ain't it cool, you know, writing up like, Oh, here's the opening 10, you know, well, 10 minutes have, of super troopers or whatever. That's crazy that they're releasing it. So could it have been though that something that was just snuck to writers to to? Don't to think so. I think it was of one of the. It, in my memory, it is it is, you know, and obviously you know better than than I would on this. But my memory is that it was like, holy shit, this is groundbreaking. They're actually releasing a chunk of the movie. It's not this. This isn't a trailer. This isn't a, a, a clip. It's like the whole like pre, you know, the, the, the whole opening scene. Eric, I, I, I agree with you on this because I wasn't writing for anyone at that time. I was you know, very young and not even in the industry. And I remember very dimly having seen like a portion of Super Troopers and it was that opening before I actually saw the movie. That's what caused me to pick up the movie. I'm pretty interesting. Sure. I was thinking maybe you guys were under some kind of Mandela effect thing where you, oh, uh... that is also very possible, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what the thing is that, that it's, it's, but it's also possible we were just so blown away that the, a movie was getting released wide. They had sent us out on tour and a tour bus. So for us, the I mean, it really is the memories are so it's just a whirlwind of like, holy shit, we're, you know, because even when we sold it at Sundance, you know, mostly most of the time when a movie sold at Sundance, you got you got a step release, you got a little platform release, and maybe you ended mm-hmm. up in a couple hundred screens. So that was even when we sold it, that's kind of what we thought. So when suddenly the whole marketing engine revved up and it was, you guys are going on tour and uh, the, it's going to be, you know, 2,000 screens, it, it was just, we were so completely blinded by, oh my God. So it's it's possible that did all, some elements like that just got caught up in, in the wow of, of the whole thing. But so anyway, back, back to, uh, back to trucks, a short story. So to me, it's just, it still feels radical and exciting to jump right in the middle. Like I love that. We don't know his name. All we know about him is he had a, a 71 Camaro that he 
was uh, uh, still paying off, and he uh, he got kind of chased off of the the throughway into the uh, um, into the the truck stop, and mm-hmm. that it's bang 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 bang, and then it has this yeah bleak semi ambiguous ending, and so yeah I, I agree Scott that there's a bit of it that's like. Oh, could a young person have done this because it eschews so many of the traditions? That that makes sense. But I think, to me, you have to be yeah, really good to be able to throw that stuff out the window and still be oh for sure completely riveting. Um, but no, yeah, it, it's it, it's not it's not a great short story. You know, it's it's not like you know the concept is a little wonky. The character the the characters are paper thin. Um, it is clearly the work of a young man, you know, and uh, I, I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's effective in its own way. I mean, we're here talking about it today. It spawned mm. maximum overdrive. It spawned sure. trucks. And I don't know Ooh. if I should say this. I'll go ahead and say it anyway. I'm hearing through the grapevine that there's another maximum overdrive project in the works right now. Really? OK. Yeah. Um, yet another gonna- King cast exclusive. Wow. Uh, I, I hear it's going to HBO Max. Um, go ahead and quote me on this because I'm not a reputable source of information anymore. And this came in from <laughs> an, un, you know, an unproven source. But um, well, I heard so, specific things about this. So uh, my point being that there's something in this idea or people wouldn't be coming back to it. Sure. Well, do you I don't know how much you, you know. I mean, I I like it as a short story and having seen these two movies and sounds like you guys like maximum overdrive better than I do, but to me, I still, I don't, I don't love it. And so I started to think, especially when I reread the short story, like, is it, is it a piece of material that just, there can't be a great movie, but now they're going to try again. And I was doing as like a thought experiment. I was trying to figure out what's a really enjoyable, successful version of this this story. And is it like a, does it have to be like, is it like George Miller? And does it have to be like just a completely over the top with, with truck action? And, you know, I mean, if, I don't know who's doing it. Maybe, you know, but to mm-hmm. me, I can't imagine that unless they're going to really, I don't know. That's my question for you guys. Do you think it can be made into a great movie? Yeah, I think you can do it. You just need to explore the world. Like to me, the most intriguing part about Maximum Overdrive is that whole sequence when the the little boy is riding his bike through the neighborhood, and you're yeah. just seeing all the different ways that how dependent we are on technology, and how all the different ways that they can kill us. You know, it's like that. That to me is the core of it. And one of the reasons why you know I don't think trucks works as well is that you know it. It seems like they, they they really wanted to focus on the on the just just the automobile parts, even down to the the toys that come to life to kill people or, or toy automobiles, mm-hmm. right? Like that that is less interesting to me than like literally everything and everything that's around us is is somehow tech driven now. So you know, I don't know. I think that that's the the key for the backdrop, and you can make almost like a Walking Dead esque post apocalyptic world out of that if you wanted to. And then well, the other thing is to do what King does so well. And what I think happens better in maximum overdrive again is the character work. Cause if you look at uh, the main cast of maximum overdrive, the main characters 
uh, are fairly comparable to, you know, as poorly acted as most of the main characters in trucks. But then there are like little flashes of personality. The diner owner that has all the fucking bazookas in his Tender basement. Shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, so it's like that, that is bonkers and fun and crazy and yes. out, out of left field. Uh, the, the two dudes that are arguing, you know, over the, the bridge controls at the beginning, though, that's like old school top of tier king character work, you know, bit players that come in and they have all, you know, all the colloquialisms and they have, you know, just the really random way of speaking, but it feels somehow grounded, you know, and like real old codgers would talk like that to, to each other. So it's like, um, you know, there, there are those little flashes. I, I think that, you know, if it was me, that that's kind of what I would do is I'd look at that backdrop and then I would try to inject as much of that Stephen King character work as possible into some of these characters, I might not lean as ridiculous as, as both of these adaptations have been so far. Do you know, Scott, whether the angle will be like maximum overdrive and all purpose, all technology? I'm, I'm assuming that. No, but I would assume so. I think that's the only yeah. reason you would do it. Yeah. yeah. I'll, t- I'll it tell you whose production it. company is doing it, but you're, okay. you're going to have to bleep me, Eric. Okay. Production company. The, yes. Huh. For HBO so Max. For HBO, yeah, Warner. Okay, because he's at Warner. Uh, uh, well, maybe not for long. If yeah. you've seen the news recently, so <laughs> is this? Yeah. Is there? Is there more Warner Brothers fallout from? Uh, oh, it never ends, baby. It's you know a, how, it's you a know how the WB well, it, does. It's all, it's all. It's all ex executive shit, though. I mean, I don't think any of the anything on on the Warner Brothers level is going to change. But uh, all the executive levels are, you know, they'll just have new new suits to talk to. I guess, and it could be not true. We don't know, but that's, I'm just saying what I've heard, but let's, let's talk specifically trucks, the movie, AKA 1997's Canadian maximum overdrive. Now, Scott, do you have backstory? Like how much do you know about how this sort of came together? I know nothing about it. I know nothing about the, you know, I don't know the budget. I don't know what the story is behind making it. But at some point, some Canadians, and I, they had to have approached Stephen King, right? I, that's the thing that I was laughing about is even just that sort of conversation of like, uh, Mr. King, can we have the rights to trucks? Because we think you cocked it up when you did Maximum Overdrive. We want to <laughs> do you know, another version. Like, that must have yeah. been a, an awkward conversation. Uh, I would assume so. But also, I can't imagine that King is very precious about it. Here are the facts that I can tell you about trucks it finished shooting on august 22nd 1997 all of the shooting took place in gunton and winnipeg manitoba in canada and in 2019 the film premiered under the title the punishment of sinners in milos ton jolicton a greek christmas park that is the only time that the film was released theatrically uh citation needed that is all from Wikipedia. Uh, that's all I got for you. The punishment of sinners? Yep. I don't know what any of that means. Uh, that entire sentence. In 2019, the film premiered as The Punishment of Sinners in Milos Ton Jotokin, a Greek Christmas park. That right there, I have a question about that. <laughs> what, is, what is a Greek Christmas park? What's going on over there? Why is it called Milos Ton Jotokin? Also, uh, that this is the only time the film was released theatrically. So apparently this Christmas park has a theater. They showed the movie under a different title. This happened in 2019 and also citation needed. 
So you think it's possible that the, uh, the, the punishment referenced is having to watch the movie. So it's conceivable that the, <laughs> the, the presentation of the movie was called The Punishment of the Sinners. And, and anybody who was unwise enough to show up to watch it was going to receive their... It, it could very well be. The, the movie was directed by Chris Thompson, uh, written by Brian Taggart. It's got like one sort of, I don't want to say like a name actor in the cast, because I don't know that Timothy Busfield qualifies as a name actor, but he's I, been I, on like, I mean, yeah. he's been on like the West Wing and he's, he's, mm-hmm. he's, uh, fuck. He's a real, was he real deal. He's, he's the a, only one in the movie. He was in where Field you of can, Dreams. He was in yeah, 30 yeah, yeah. something, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, but he's the only one in the movie where you can actually see like, oh, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. Right now, that's yeah, true. When I like, saw his name, I said, "Oh, television mainstay Timothy Busfield is what I said to myself." Okay. House Did you know that uh, Chris Thompson, the director, uh, is a was a female director? She was. I wonder if if she shortened her name to make it easier to get jobs because this was back, right? You know, right. pre Wonder Woman, I guess the that ancient era ago, pre Wonder Woman, where it was tougher for uh, right. ladies to, yes. to work in I'm the business. But she uh, she changed it back to yeah, Christina, Christina. Now, uh, yeah, she's well, she's dead. So oh. what? You know, Wait, way to bring the room down. <laughs> I, I guess I'm. I guess I'm the asshole. Um, <laughs> she died in 2015. She, she, she was a she was a New Zealand slash Australian director. So ah, oh, well, that's a bummer. Um, that now I feel bummer. bad about the uh, amount of tuning up I'm about to do on this thing. I know, I know. Maybe we leave that out. Um, can I? Can, can we well, take just a 30 second break? I have to go to the bathroom so bad. Yes, okay? please. Oh, sure. But don't edit any of this out, okay? I want, I want to make sure this all makes the cut. I'll be right back. Sure. Are you bringing the mic bring, with you? Bring the mic in there with you. Yes. Yeah. We, we want a full Leslie Nielsen and Naked Gun thing going on here. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, what you're hearing right now is Broken Lizard's Paul Soder taking a leak. Oh, that is liquid we, that his body does not need. What we have here is the shotgun blast, is what that's called. <laughs> it's a, a, an ailment common to uh, older gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Fairly healthy prostate, though, I can tell from here. Trying to wrap it up, not quite landing it. Ooh, do you oh. hear that? We got thunder in the background. We got. Paul's pee in the background. Oh, could great. you hear that? Could you hear that? Oh, yeah, you we could. could hear it. We were Ooh. doing running commentary on it. It's good. Like it's pouring good. lemonade out of a, into a bucket. Yeah, that was, that was mm-hmm. a good strong one. Um, yes. Okay. So here's, here's the thing. Here's yeah. a little, um, you may not know this, and I've learned this now that I'm on a, a, a TV show. I'm in a writer's room. There is a, a convention that they use when somebody brings in has written a draft and the room is discussing it. And the um, convention is you say something nice, then you do your critique and then you finish Mm -hmm. with something nice. And that's the sort of the respectful way that you, you tear into somebody's script. So Mm, in that, in that spirit, I will try to use that format to give you my sort of broad stroke feelings about trucks. Okay. Um, I do like that the movie <laughs> wants that the movie wants to take place I think in a more in more 
familiar Stephen King territory. I, I could feel it wanting to live in the same space as Cujo or Children of the Corn, a kind of a Midwestern, like decent salt of the earth people in the Midwest who have to deal with something horrific happening. Can that. I counter can I counter that really quick? <laughs> okay. Just to play devil's advocate. That may be because it looks like it was shot in 1982. But go ahead. <laughs> right, 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 right. The dated and cheap nature may have something to do mm-hmm. with that. That's um, standard definition. Mm, girl. And now I will say that the movie is largely just an unwatchable mess <laughs> and, and boring and meaningless. But then I'll finish by saying, I do think the helicopter ending, I think, is an Mm. admirable attempt at having an ending in the spirit of the short story where he looks up and he sees the airplanes and thinks, oh, my God, I bet you this is even so much worse than I imagined. The way it was executed, I, I would dispute, but I thought that the concept of okay, so we just have to get into the helicopter. We made it to the helicopter. We just barely avoided that uh, burned out truck and we're off to freedom only to find that nobody's flying the helicopter. Spoiler alert. Uh, was a noble uh, uh, attempt to give you a good uh, uh, cherry on top kind of punchline yes. ending. On paper, a better ending than Maximum Overdrive had where they just sailed off in a boat. Absolutely. And then yes, we get yeah. we get two pages of text about what happened, <laughs> happened after. Um I, I agree with you there. I don't think they push it far enough, though, because they do that freeze frame on the re- revelation of, of it, mm-hmm. where we should have seen that fucking just instantly fly all the way up to the sky and then drop like a fucking rock. Yes. yes. You know, and, and explode yeah. into the fucking hillside or something. Yeah, exactly. I, I, was, I, was, I was sure that we were going to see that thing plow into the hillside. Um, for, for anyone that has, is not familiar with Maximum Overdrive, Trucks, the original short story, or Trucks, the movie. Paul, can you give us a very brief overview of what is this movie about? Just so people have context. Yeah. And so, you know, I think Trucks tries to expand on the concept of the short story, which is that a a man and a handful of strangers are trapped in a truck stop while sentient, sinister trucks are attacking, circling, and ultimately demanding uh, that the survivors uh, refuel them. Mm-hmm. Is a fair, fair synopsis? Yeah, yes. yeah, for sure. Okay. That to me is, is probably the, the tricky uh, crux of the short story is the trucks communicating through Morse code. And so I see why they thought they might do a little end around and just have it be that Timothy Busfield kind of, starts to put the pieces together like they, oh they why won't they kill me oh they're not going to kill me because i they know that i'm the guy who can give them gas like that's inept also but i i, I thought it was interesting that they they felt like they needed to try a different take on how the trucks do communicate with the humans hey what is, is that, that fucking noise that- it's the rolling thunder my man it's on Ooh, our end I like that. oh that's the spirit of trucks baby yeah, um, but yeah, yeah we're getting know. all sorts of audio bonuses in this episode. Paul's urine and and uh, <laughs> our rolling thunder. Uh, awesome. Yes. Um, well, I don't know. What do you guys think about? I mean, obviously, there's so much to get into, but like, what do you think about that decision to not go Morse code? Well, I mean, my take on this entire thing is that 
it is obviously an expansion of trucks. You know, it's 95 minutes long. It feels like four hours. They took the the 11 page short story or whatever it is and built a, a narrative around it that honestly, I had trouble following at certain points. Yes. Of like who yeah. was where and why they were doing things. And like, you know, uh, I would I would look away from the screen for not 10 seconds and come back and be like, wait, who the fuck is that? Like, what is, how did this happen? And why, like, why are they behaving like that? And I'm not, I'm not certain that if I had been paying attention during that 10 seconds that I uh, might've gotten the full answers on that. No, no, there's definitely a lot of, and I think with, with both adaptations, I think they, they come at it from the angle of, okay, we've got to fill everything out. And that means more time with subplots and character dynamics and more time speculating on why this is really happening and sure, what is the origin. Just on a geographical level. Just on um, yeah, spatial, yeah. Yeah, like like Maximum Overdrive makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. This movie makes Maximum Overdrive look like a masterpiece right. of, <laughs> of, of filmmaking. In Maximum Overdrive, I'm always aware of, of who characters are, what they're doing, why they're there in that particular moment, and what the general area around the thing looks like. Trucks, on the other hand, seems to be seems to have been filmed on the last uh, like you know ten miles of highway in the middle of fucking nowhere in Canada, yes. and they're portraying it as like what Arizona or fucking uh, Nevada or something in the movie. Yeah, well, Area Fifty One, like right around Area Fifty One, yeah. right? They keep yeah. talking yeah. about Area Fifty One, which be becomes like kind of a plot point in the story, if only because every other character keeps talking about it and won't shut up. And yet also but, kind of a red herring because I don't think they ever really peg it no. as, oh, okay, this is a, a true connection. Yeah. No, total red herring or what I would call a dangling thread that was never addressed. Sure, sure. Um, <sighs> well, here's one. Th- I, I can't believe I'm defending trucks against maximum overdrive <laughs> yet again. What the hell's wrong with me? But what I will say is they at least – I find that that romantic subplot with Emilio Estevez in Maximum Overdrive is one of the most ridiculous, cringiest things ever. And sure. it is trucks that is true. said, let's give character subplots that could still exist under siege, you know, where, you know, the, whether it's Timothy Busfield and his son or Timothy Busfield and, and the, the female lead where, you know, they're, they're cl- getting closer to each other, but they don't. Uh, they don't, you know, suddenly make love in a hammock or in a cot or whatever. That <laughs> and he doesn't, he doesn't lick her sweat off oh his my fingers. God, yeah, yeah. And then they, <laughs> and then they like, like they meet cute. Like that's what drives me fucking bananas about what he did with that subplot in Maximum Overdrive. Is that mm-hmm. I just don't buy any of the meet cute. I don't buy any of the sex. And so. Just, but it doesn't, it doesn't, but it doesn't, all that shit makes sense in Maximum Overdrive if you're looking at it through the prism of an easy comics approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, whereas this movie jettisoned that stuff, but also made time for, you know, an entire sequence where uh, a mailman is killed by a remote controlled <laughs> car, <laughs> which, which is like the one of the most infuriating things I've ever seen. 
Like it's a mailman. He's going up the street. A remote control. Uh, what is it? Like a bulldozer? A little Tonka truck. Like a Tonka yeah, truck. Yeah, yeah. like a Tonka yeah. truck comes roaring out of a, a toy store. Now, <laughs> uh, we are th- three full-grown adults. If there yeah. was a, a Tonka truck coming at you, and now Eric, we're getting back into that territory where whether or not I could take out some Green Army mm-hmm. men in in battleground, but. I would just kick the shit out of this fucking truck if it kept ramming into me. Sure. That's not what sure. this mailman does, though. <laughs> you know, he fucking lays down and goes out like a like he fucking he lets okay, himself here's get what, curbed. Here's what, he lets himself be curbed by he a gets Tonka curbed truck. by a fucking Tonka truck. You know, like he 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 gets ramped like it goes over his foot a couple times. He's like, ow. Hey, yep. don't do that. Hey, you damn kids. And he yeah. does like, like that a couple of times. And then he's like, ah, and falls down and his head is near a curb. So then you're treated to like a six minute sequence where this truck just keeps backing up <laughs> a truck. I, I will remind you is probably weighs less than a gallon of milk. Mm-hmm. Uh, just <laughs> ramming his head into a curb. And he's just like, ah, no. Oh, it's it's terrible. Like, and it's just smashing his fucking head against the curb. Like, you kind of deserve to die at that point. If you have no will to live, that you'll just lay in the street and let this truck smash your head against a curb. Like, fuck you. My older, my favorite detail in that scene is that when the truck first hits him and he does that, hey, hey, that it kind of hurts a little bit or whatever. <laughs> his his first instinct. <laughs> His first instinct is to pull his mace out and yes, aim it at yes. the t- toy truck. Yes. Like, <laughs> like it's that, a date I, rapist. <laughs> hey, like, cut no, it out. No, it's not going to work, buddy. Like, you're yeah. done. Toy trucks don't get eyes. The mailman, yeah. the mailman has but one means of self-defense. So should your assailant not fit into any of the standard definitions, he still has that only... That is his only. Uh, <laughs> that's the only arrow in his quiver is the is the the mace, unfortunately. But what I will say is this: as much as you guys are right, and as much as it is an infuriating thing to watch, I was so starved for red meat, also that just even yep. his goo, his brains uh, uh, coming off yeah. onto the truck, at least checked off my box. It pushed my button of like, oh, okay, gore. At least something that that, that, that qualifies as, as gore. Um, by this point in maximum overdrive, we've already seen kids get rolled over by steamrollers. Yes, so yes. it's like, it's like and, we need something. Give us that red meat. And that was just that. as that sidebar. As I watched that little league, the, the you know the, the the Coke machine scene in maximum right. overdrive, it did it did kind of freak my son out to be like, these are kids and they're uh-huh. getting killed, and that was like a revelation for him because you know. Even in horror movies, they're sort of they're off limits mm. uh, uh, under a yep. certain age, and that really did uh, uh, seeing kids in in even though they were all playing in jeans. And my son went through the fucking roof about that. He was like, <laughs> "In what universe are little league guys all playing jeans?" Uh, uh, um, that seeing those kids sprawled out dead from yeah either the steamroller or the coke machines mm. really he felt like, wait a minute. Kids my age can get killed in movies like this. So that, that that was something kind of fun about that. But yeah. You're like, yeah, I'm trying to warn you. I'm your dad. I know. Yeah. And the fact that you this were like, I want you to read this and watch this shit. You were hungry for red meat at that point is because all of the, the scenes with trucks doing destruction by this point are poorly filmed, poorly edited. 
It's like a truck careening around a corner and taking out like an outhouse or some bullshit. Yeah. Well, yeah. like five people hover around a car and watch nearby and they're like, whoa, that was weird. Like, what are we going <laughs> to do next? It's baffling how poor the filmmaking is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it, it is misguided. And, and, and I've realized this now, like, you know, I, I've, I've done a little bit of horror and I've, I've, you know, I've done stuff on different budgets, but there's a fatal flaw in the conceit of like, oh, we can do trucks on the cheap because if we just show, it's not, you know, maybe it's not that hard to, to film a truck when it looks like nobody's driving. And yeah, you can, you can build a little outhouse and smash into it. Um, I think that's what made them feel like, oh yeah, yeah, trucks can be done on a budget, but you really do miss out. You need people getting mucked. You really need to see people getting mucked by trucks in a Indeed. good, you know. And other things. One of the things that Trucks does, and this is where the Stockholm Syndrome thing comes in. There's a scene where, <sighs> Jesus Christ, there's a, okay, look, here's what happens. It's reported on the news and you, you hear about it through however many uh, plot threads are going on in this thing. That the, uh, a truck is overturned on a highway somewhere, somewhere and there's a chemical spill. Yeah. So this other truck of guys comes out to investigate the chemical spill, you know, and just as a sidebar here, like they, there's no consistency to when the, the machines or the trucks or the phones or what have you, or the air compressors in the scene we're about to talk about, mm -hmm. you know, really come to life. It's just like when the script needs it to. Right. Yes. So, so this truck is clearly spilled over, uh, Probably intentionally is what I'm thinking. But then they send out this truck full of guys to to come investigate. And um, this truck has like hazmat suits in it, mm -hmm. air compressors, all kinds of technological stuff that would help figure out a, um, a chemical spill. And they show up and guess what happens? The truck inflates via air mm -hmm. compressor. One of the hazmat suits, which picks up an axe and starts doing axe murders. The yes. suit, the hazmat suit. Yes. Filled which... with air. The air suit is, is doing axe murders. I could and not believe my fucking eyes. And it is more absurd in the execution than even what you described as in its conceit. Like, to me, <laughs> there's... Like if you yes. if I hadn't seen the movie and I just heard you say that I'd be like oh that's actually a clever way to mix up your kills, but yet the execution of it is one of the most laughably dumb things I've ever seen. Have you seen the the Young Adventures of Sherlock Holmes? No. Okay, it's fantastic. You've got to see it. This is like right. the the first use of computer uh, generated imagery in a movie. And there's a scene in that movie where a stained glass window gets blown out and then it comes to life and it's fucking attacking a guy, you know, and it's, you know, you watch it now and this was like, you know, fucking 40 years ago or 35 years ago or whenever they made that movie, you know, it's, it's pretty rickety by today's standards, but it still passes. That's what the hazmat suit filled with <laughs> air swinging that axe around reminds me of. And it is not nearly effective with 
you know, they're doing it as a practical effect, but clearly it's just a guy in a suit. You're not yes. fooling us. It is the most rudimentary Texas switch on, on film, I believe, ever captured, <laughs> whereas you see the shot of the suit starting to inflate, you cut away, you come back, and it is to anybody's with a brain, it's just a guy in a suit. Uh, um, but, you know, it's one of those things, again, what I will say in defense of Chris Thompson, rest in peace, is I can imagine on a low budget, you have to be really thinking creatively about how else can we kill people <laughs> with limited, you know, and it's, it's the same sure. thing. It's the same thinking behind the Tonka, the Tonka truck in execution, laughable, but I guess I can, I can see the moment where they were sitting around saying, okay, what else can we do in this world, in this scenario to be able to kill people in ways in, in cheap right. ways that we that can technically be yes trucks kill people. It's at least absurd enough to have a personality, which yes. right. m- most of the rest of the movie doesn't. So I'll give it that. It it is ridiculous, especially when like it, you're right. It's an interesting idea because if if the uh, if that gets to be an extension of that that truck, right? This this weird suit that's going around. Like if it didn't just have a straight black, you know, uh, face like plastic or whatever, if you could actually see the hollowed out inside of the the suit, then that would have been like legitimately creepy what right. was happening right. there. Or if it moved at all, like it wasn't just somebody holding an axe in there. Like if, you know, I don't know, like if, if the, if it sold the fact that it was just compressed air in that suit somehow, then it, it that would have legit been something disturbing to watch, but instead it just, looks like you know like you guys said yeah. a, a dude in a suit like yeah like fighting back and puncturing the suit and you know that there's there's yeah. i think a lot more fun to be had but i absolutely uh, can can picture the brainstorm session where the, you know what else in other ways what's well, like that it's like that set piece that comes out of nowhere when they they escape and they escape into the hills and they go to bed and then just apropos of nothing now there's a truck with a cherry picker and the dude, the phone <laughs> guy, which it has no sort of place being there for any narrative reason. Uh, 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 and it's also like, well, what if the cherry picker shook the guy loose and he grabbed onto the transformer box and fried himself? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, they're desperately coming up with other things to do. But it, that was another case where I laughed at like, where based on where we are in the story, what what is that giving us now? Like a random cherry picker killing. I, I just want to say that I think the thing with the suit is that I, I completely understand that you're when you're working within the reality of this movie or this you know mythology, which is essentially like you know a world where trucks come to life, machines revolt against human beings. You know that's the that's the bottom line here. Fine, you're going to need to come up with some wild shit to mm. to keep that interesting and watching trucks go up and down a highway the uh, for 90 minutes is not that interesting so of course you're going to throw some stuff in there but mm. i think it's world breaking or reality breaking for what they've set up because it's like no there's no amount of air you could pump into a suit and <laughs> the suit itself yeah. is not mechanical you know what I mean? It's just right. a suit. It's just it's a tarp basically that's been fashioned <laughs> in the shape of a human being. So unless the air is has microchips in it or fucking, you know, like if you stop for two seconds and think about it, the whole the entire gag falls apart. But also, like, 
this is where my my begrudging respect for the movie sort of comes in. Between this and the RC car thing, I realized that like this is undoubtedly a bad movie. There's no getting around that. But, you know, this is one of those movies that's really fun to talk about versus actually watching, sure. you know, sort of like how we discovered with DC Pearson on the Mangler. Like you can talk about Mangler fucking five hours and have a good old time doing it. But like watching the Mangler for 95 minutes. Oh, it's boy. Like pulling you're gonna, teeth. Yeah. Yeah. It um, is rough. It reminds me, I have it on my to-do list to listen to that one because I think DC Pearson, he's my favorite Twitter follow. I think I've met him once or twice, but like, mm-hmm. I absolutely love that guy on Twitter. I think he's hilarious. But, but as we talk, to me, the way you felt about how the hazmat suit, even in concept, is absurd, is it kind of how I felt about the, the, the mounted mule machine gun in Maximum Overdrive? I felt mm-hmm. like... <laughs> uh, is that not really the same thing where you've you've kind of over i guess what but with maximum overdrive any mechanical even a clock went crazy so i guess the yeah. the gun the gun itself yeah. is is sentient it's not just that the gun is mounted on a mule someone gets attacked yeah. by like an electric knife in that movie, yep that's you know? exactly right and they make reference to the electric knife they they there's a very deliberate shot of the electric knife in trucks and I think, I'm trying to remember, I think they did that a couple of times where they tried to wink at maximum overdrive. And I don't know why, why they thought, you know, it made sense to be cute. Um, eh, probably well, just showing some respect, paying homage, maybe. that sort of thing. There's like the scene where both, both movies have a scene where they think that they can get out via like an underground like a sewage tunnel or whatever, uh, which is, uh, which is interesting as well. And in this one, once again, it's a really interesting, really fun idea for what happens is the, the main character's kid and the absolutely annoying, like people think Willie Scott and temple of doom is annoying. The, the like 18 year old (laughs) girl in this movie is, is like that times 40, you know, but in like a late nineties kind of goth kid. Angsty, angsty, grungy, uh, right. you know, yeah, by way of Seattle kind of, uh, yeah, teenager. But that's the thing. That's when my, and that's when my son really snapped in, in kind of a funny way. Like it, we started riffing on it. It was kind of the first time in the movie where we leaned in because we thought, oh, the kids have gone in the tunnel. One truck has dumped uh, uh, gravel to close up one end and the other, uh, another truck has put its exhaust up to the other end. And yeah. oh And I, and we thought, okay, there's, there's a, there's a provocative conundrum. So we, we leaned in a little bit and then Timothy Busfield comes out and gives this long, <laughs> yeah. elaborate, like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to, you're going to be able to do it. You're going to crawl three steps and then go to the left and then come at it at a 90 degree angle. And he takes like, <laughs> he takes like three minutes giving instructions to his kid who just crawls out, just basically crawls out and under the truck. And the like, truck. Yeah. It's like, that was like five minutes of instruction to just result in a, in a, in like a three second maneuver of just basically, just, yeah, just crawl out. Come out well, of the and hole. You, kid. And then you could, you could also tell like halfway through that scene there, like the actors must've been like, uh, I'm, com- I, I don't want to be in the smoke. This is <laughs> making me lightheaded. So suddenly all the exhaust that's pouring in there just stops and everything's clear. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there is no, yeah. no danger or threat anymore, but like, you like, you're right. That it's like, Oh, there's the trucks are thinking smartly. They're using what they can. It's not a ridiculous 
uh, extension of a truck. It's not an air compressor. It's like, oh, I'll use the exhaust to yep. To, yep. to kill these things, mm-hmm. these kids. But they're also using that scene as the moment where they realize they want us to pump gas, which is absolutely communicated in zero way. Like they're just mm-hmm. standing there. He's not, you know, okay, I'm going to go out here. The truck's not running me over for some reason. Ergo, they want gas. Yes. It's and a long it, walk. It's a long it, walk to get to. Yeah. yeah, they must want me to pump gas. Yeah, <laughs> like wh- why you? Of it's course. like, do, do they intrinsically know that that you are the yeah. gas pumper? It's like well, I, I didn't. You know, and it's it's an effective thing done in the short story where a character looks out and sees a truck that has run out of gas. Uh, um, they could have easily done that. There's, you know, on 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 even the lowest budget, you could have shown. A truck run out of gas. A truck sitting still. Exactly. Can we, do we have that in the budget? Do we have that in the budget? Yeah. A truck sitting still. Uh, uh, you know, that it, they could have, if nothing else, done that so that there's some way to connect like, ah, yes, they're going to run out of gas. Oh, they're not killing me. It must be because they want me to pump gas. That would have helped that, that, that stretch. But yeah, it was a remarkable leap of, uh, of logic. The director talking to the producer on set like, well, we're doing a pretty big effect today. Just wanted to let you know, you know, your money's being well spent. And he's like, what are you doing? The director's like, well, we're, there's going to be a truck and it's just sitting still. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, whoa, hold up, James Cameron. Yeah. What kind of fucking production do you think we're running here? We can't just have trucks sitting still out here for minutes all, at a time. I've got a big set piece figured out. We <laughs> shattered the truck. The truck's out of gears and it's just sitting there. <laughs> i don't know why it's lee waddle's voice now <laughs> that's my only my yeah my only realm of australian new zealand accent yeah it's just, to just it's to just go up on the end of every every sentence yeah 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 the the trick is to replace every e with an i like instead of netflix yeah. it's netflix netflix Netflix. One of the coolest things when Super Troopers came out was they sent us, Fox sent us to Australia. Mm. Um, and it was the first like really VIP, like touring experience thing that we had. And we were treated so well. And we you know went, went to Sydney, tour of Sydney Harbor, all this stuff. And our handler was this awesome publicist. And we were, you know, when, when, when the lizards are together, we're always talking about music and rock and roll and favorite bands. And we got her talking about how her favorite band was, was Guns N' Roses, her her reasoning, like the best thing that, that she could say that why she loved Guns N' Roses was just, you've got Slash on the guitar? And <laughs> that still is, that's a, a very oft-quoted thing in Broken Lizard whenever, whenever Guns N' Roses comes on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> so have we... Um... Do we have anything we want to add here? Does anyone want to say anything about the Ooh. ending of this movie? <sighs> well, be- before we get there, uh, uh, I, there's one one other angle that I think is really interesting that is completely dropped. And that is the fact that you have the the only interesting character dynamic at all in this whole thing between all the people stuck in this diner is that you have like this aging cook and this aging hippie. That Mm -hmm. that meet for like one scene and you realize and the aging hippie was like, oh, we we were at the same place at the same time at this at this protest. And you find out that the the cook was a cop at the protest and the hippie was, 
you know, the, the one protesting and it was like a bloody protest. It was, it was a famous one where, you know, the cops killed, you know, protesters or whatever. And, and like when that scene came up, I'm like, my ears perked up. I'm like, Ooh, interesting dynamic. These two people are, are, uh, opposed, but they're like stuck in a, uh, in a situation where they have to help each other out to survive. And I'm like, Oh wow. What a, what an interesting, uh, angle to approach us <laughs> at. And it's literally just brought up for one moment of dialogue. And then the hippie goes and gets run over by, um, by a car while in a phone booth. Um, oh, uh, I do have something to say about that moment. Um, the guy gets the hippie gets taken out by the truck, <laughs> and I posted a clip of this to my Twitter while while I was watching it. But uh, the dad runs by ostensibly, yes, with the with the teenage girl under his arm, yes, a full a fully grown, <laughs> essentially woman. You know, she's got to be like I don't know about the character, but the actress is clearly like what nineteen twenty. Mm -hmm. But you can't just pick up a 20 year old and run screaming across the parking lot with her under one arm like that. You're not fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger. So there's this like two, three second shot in there. Yep. yep. Of the guy running across the screen, scampering even with what is clearly a dummy in his <laughs> arms. And it's it's like rigid. It is like stock still, um, except the head is like bouncing around like a bobblehead. Holy fuck. Is it funny? I, my son and I watched it five times because at first, <laughs> at first I was like, did I that, see that? It was like, yeah. did he just run across with a cardboard cutout of his daughter? Because it was, you're right, the legs stick out at a complete 45 degree angle. And we went back and forth and laughed so hard. It's like, was the actress not available that day? Was she mad about the exhaust uh, uh, in the pipe and she'd called SAG or something? But But we were like, it's he they got a doll they got a a, a completely right. stiff doll for for him to carry to play the part of like a yeah teenage girl <laughs> again the, more yeah. fun to talk about this than to actually yes. you know subject yourself to yep. it yeah um, one of the many treasures awaiting you should you watch this on Amazon Prime free with ads oh i didn't get that option i paid yes. 4 dollars for this thing um, no, no, we had free with ads. And what's funny was we, I don't know if this was how you got it, Eric, that, that every, every time there was an ad break, the first ad that came up was one of those like animated car, uh, um, claymation kind of, <laughs> I don't even know what the ad was for, but it was a, it was what reminded me of this concept of like, and like sentient automobiles are just a thing now. Like it's not, you know, there's nothing spooky about it. It's, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. Didn't get that, but that sounds very Paul Verhoeven-y. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like some, that would happen in RoboCop. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, we you mentioned the the helicopter. We touched on it, and then again, it's that's to me that's that idea of like wanting to pack a wallop, which I, like I think the the short story does. But yeah, I think yeah, Scott said why why or, you know why that helicopter doesn't burst in, into flames in the side of a hill is absolutely beyond me. That was yeah. me, but thanks for thanks for remembering. Oh, sorry, sorry. I appreciate it. We had to record <laughs> this bad boy across two days, everyone, so we're all a little bit hazy on the details. <laughs> because our technology turned against us, which is That's pretty, true. you know. Apropos. Got the yeah. heebie-jeebies from that, yeah. Yeah, a hazmat suit just knocked on my door. <laughs> This is usually the point in our show where we allow our guests to tease whatever they're working on next. Paul, I know you've been writing for uh, Tacoma FD. 
Yeah, um, so we just wrapped season three, um, so that will premiere in the fall. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, True TV and HBO Max. But yeah, I'm a writer and recurring character on that, so you get to see me do a little silliness. I did a, I, I wrote a one of those Blumhouse Into the Dark episodes a couple of years ago, and now I've got another project with them. This one's for Epics. Uh, um, that shoots in Louisiana next month. So uh, uh, another horror project, which I always love when I get to do horror. So the last one I did, yeah, is is called A Nasty Piece of Work that's still on Hulu that I, I actually like a lot. So I would tell people to watch that. And then I think toward the end of the year, this new one, uh, which is called Unhuman, um, will be on Epics. Nice. Um, and then hopefully another Broken Lizard movie at the end of the year will uh, uh, set something up at Searchlight, a period piece, which is a f- new final frontier for Broken Lizard. Uh, um, uh, you guys uh, were trying to get like a like an ancient Greece movie off the ground for a long time, weren't you? Yeah, that was the one that that we had written a long time, even before Super Troopers. And um always kind of for some reason couldn't quite close the deal on it. And so we wrote something else along, not in the same time period, but in the same spirit of like a Python-esque period piece Mm. that was a little more achievable. I think what we ran up against with this ancient Greece one was it, it just the scope of it. It was, you know, a journey to the Olympics and there were Greek gods and, and, and gigantic crowds at the Olympics. And so this one is, yeah, yeah. Even now, even though you could probably do the whole thing on a green screen now, but we we wrote one that takes place in 14th century France, and it's a, a Quasimodo story about a hunchback <laughs> that gets gets involved in political intrigue between the queen, uh, between the king and the pope, and so it's got all that sort of period piece silliness. But it's a, a um, I think the the landscape, the the canvas of it is a little smaller. So I think we're shooting that uh, at the end of this year. That's nice. awesome. Do you know who yeah. you're shooting? You know who's distributing at this point, or you're, that's way that off one is is it's Searchlight, um, but I think it's going to be for Hulu, and so I don't know oh, right what's official. But I mean that that's what they pitched to us is we'd set it up with Searchlight, and they said, "Hey, we have a spot we can shoot this thing this year if you want to do it for Hulu," because now Searchlight is is you know trying to feed content, uh, streaming content to Hulu, and we were like, "Yeah, we have no no problem at this point doing." Okay. Uh, um, doing something like that. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things where you like, they say yes. And then you wait around for four months, five months for the <laughs> deal to get made, which is right. agony. So, yeah. So, so far it's shaping up to be a good, good busy year. Can nice. you tell us what it's called or not? Yet? That one, <laughs> it's, it was always called Q because Quasimodo is the main character and that's sort of his, his colloquial nickname, his friends you call get, him Q. You get a whole, whole different audience and, if you keep that title. <laughs> and, uh, well, you know, and it's become this, this controversy between us about like, do we change it because of Q and on? And it's true. I like, I don't, I, I don't want those associations being made. And at the same time, we're like, are we really going to let like a bunch of nut jobs appropriate a letter of the fucking alphabet like you can't use that letter now so it we're having this debate about whether uh uh, um to keep that title or not so it's ridiculous it's you know the nazis ruined the swastika for everybody so you know an idea you may not have considered and i will submit to you now is keep the q name 
but also insert just maybe two or three very oblique references into the movie that only QAnon would understand. If nothing else, they'll, uh, no, no, well, I guess if it's going to Hulu, it's not going to be a rental. So no, no, but you know, it's true that they, those people have uh, spending dollars as well. And if they think there are clues, uh, hidden inside and the know, Illuminati uh, and shit like that. And you know, yeah. whatever it is, they fucking I I have know, a pizza joint in there for, for no reason. Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it has a basement. I don't envy that, <laughs> the, that debate. But yeah. it's ridiculous now that that's a thing you have to think about. Like, yeah, but also like by the time, by the time this thing would be coming out, shouldn't a, a fair amount of this be burned out by then or hopefully, I would like to think so. Uh, um, you know. But I guess there's no predicting the world anymore. If we learned anything in the last five years. Yeah. I mean, look, they, those, these things can have staying power. I, I was, you know, when I was 13 and got into the Beatles, I fell into the like Paul is dead rabbit hole. And this was, oh, you Jesus. know, the, this was the, this was like 1983 and that there were still people running around, uh, uh, pointing to, to 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 clues that Paul McCartney had died in 1968. So, you know, these things can have staying power. Who the hell knows? He's not. He's the only one not wearing shoes on Abbey Road, <laughs> man. Oh man, I had all of this. I mean, this was pre-internet too. I had all this stuff written down. I had. I was doing the red thread on the wall crap, you know. And that's like, it, it amazes me. It amazes me that I, as an intelligent kid. Like I, lo- I, 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 I want to go back to that my thirteen-year-old self and be like, get your head out of your ass. Like he's Paul McCartney, though. Just the 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 common sense of like one of the most talented musicians in the history of of the human race should die, and you just found another dude and plugged him in. And he who could happened also, to be just as talented. Yeah, yeah. A, still, yeah, also a exactly like yeah, vocalist, bass player, and, and composer. Like, I want to, I want to shake my thirteen-year-old self and be like, <laughs> "Don't be stupid." You know, that's the amazing <laughs> thing. It's the amazing thing about these conspiracy theories. Like, you, it's so easy for people to lose track of just a, the gigantic how none of this makes any sense when you get. No, but the clues are there, and I'm having such a good time being a detective. Well, thank you so much for being here, uh, Paul. This was fantastic, even though the movie was not. No. And uh, we're excited to see Q, or whatever it ends up being called, once it comes out. Absolutely. I, I love chatting with you guys, so thank you for having me on. Many thanks to Paul Soder for joining us for that very spirited and unusual episode. We don't often have guests peeing in the middle of the show. Um, not often. If they do, not often. They knew we don't often hear about it, uh, but it was lovely. We had to keep that in. There, there, there was never a, really a debate. Like there was maybe a thought that flashed up in my mind. It's like, oh, maybe we can cut this part out, and it's just like, nah, nah. Well, you got to. That's in. because that, we we recorded a full episode with Dame Judy Dench. Ah, uh, I know. And she took a twenty minute leak on audio, and it just became uncomfortable. Um, it we ruined had to the whole thing. Whole, like, it really yeah. did. You know, yeah. you're you're here to talk about Eyes of the Dragon and you're doing that in the middle of it. Uh, really upsetting stuff from the dame. But uh, we still love her, but we we couldn't possibly air it. And I think that's probably why you were a little n- nervous about Paul. 
Right. And I kind of li- listened back on it. You know, I, I listened back on that Dame Judy piss episode a lot, um, just for own personal reasons. Um, but, and I kind of regret not posting it. So like I made a vow then never again, will we throw away an episode or even a moment where we hear one of our guests urinating. I, um, I, I get it. I, I totally get it. It's a hard learned lesson, but it's a lesson we learned. Uh, I yes. do want to apologize to anybody who decided to watch trucks because we were doing this episode. Uh, mm-hmm. I would like it on record. We never advise that. If you did that, then it's all on you. I'm sorry. So next week, uh, we just spent a little bit of time into kind of a weird Stephen King niche corner, and we're going into another niche Stephen King thing to a point where I think there's many Stephen King fans that don't know that he wrote the thing that we were going to be discussing in depth next week. Probably be some raised eyebrows on this one. (laughs) Right. So the topic next week is going to be Michael Jackson's Ghosts which is a short <laughs> film that he made as his follow-up to Thriller uh, in the mid-90s post-accusations. So it was directed by Stan Winston, uh, and it was written by Stephen King. Well, at least story by Stephen King. There's a whole Correct. thing. We, we, go, we go into detail on a lot of the, the, the background, but it was written by, a script written by Stephen King that turned into a story by Stephen King, um, and Mick Garris came in and, and uh, uh, helped write the version that ended up being being made so you know we we have a really interesting guest to come in and kind of walk us through some of that there's uh there's lots to to dig into that one i think and i think people will be surprised at just like how how much there is to parse in this 140 minute short you are gonna get yet another uh separating the art from the artist conversation in this one but it's sort of hard to avoid given the subject matter and then on uh, Friday, this Friday, those of you who are signed up for the uh, KingCast Patreon, which we, you should be by now. And if you're not already, you can go to patreon.com backslash the KingCast. Um, we have our brand new commentary episode uh, for Children of the Corn 2. This is a movie that I went into uh, uh, expecting to hate from top to bottom. And I was only moved to watch it because I had seen... Uh, a clip online of uh, a lady in a wheelchair being uh, rocketed through the window of a bingo parlor. And I was like, well, I feel like I'm missing out now. Like maybe this is something for us to investigate. (laughs) So you're going to get a full commentary track for that movie. Uh, And to that end, we have brought in a a guest who's a friend of ours. Uh, Her name is Becca Sup, former writer for Pajiba, who is now, well, She's just a, uh, you know, a troublemaker on Twitter, uh, a very close friend of mine. But I knew instinctively that she would be the right person to ask on uh, for this particular commentary. And I was not proven wrong. She she knocked it out of the park. Did she not? She did. Yeah. You'll In this commentary, you're going to hear many uh, ridiculous things, uh, almost things that are <laughs> things that are almost as ridiculous as, what, as what's in the movie. And in particular, we draw, we're probably the only human beings on this planet that would draw uh, parallels to this movie and uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> You're going to hear about goth Paul Dano in you this You will one. hear a lot about goth Paul Dano. You're going to hear about Wizard of Oz references in the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, geez. What else do we talk about? Creepy dolls we talk about. We talk Porn about cops lots of fun stuff. in relation to sex toys. It's uh, I don't want to say it's unhinged. It's not quite the dream catcher commentary, but it's in that realm. 
I think. Thank God we can only afford to do one of those every like nine months or so. We can yeah. only birth one of those <laughs> my in, in one natural I, birthing cycle. My understanding is that's just a legal thing. If we did more sure. than one Dreamcatcher commentary every year, uh, we would be arrested. All right. So stay tuned next week for Michael Jackson's Ghosts in the main feed. And this Friday for our Children of the Corn 2, the final harvest. Is that right? Did I get that right? The yeah, final that's harvest. Right. And also, please go rate and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, your uh, five-star reviews, anything less, will not be accepted. And uh, I don't think I have anything more to add. Nope, that should do it. We'll see you all next week. Adios, folks. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. 